food companies, agribusinesses, government organizations, nonprofits, and others are all looking for ways to make agriculture more resilient and more quote unquote climate smart. But true lasting change won't come from just short term payouts. I think there's a lot of money in this space that folks want to give to farmers and, and incentivize and, and for good reasons, but I think we can't lose sight of how important that trusted advisor is at really enabling that long-term success and, and mindset shift because that's, that's what's going to make the money actually impactful uh, in the long run. That's Dr. Steve Rosenzweig, a soil scientist with General Mills. They're one of a number of food companies that have ambitious goals related to regenerative agriculture and soil health. But through their efforts, they've realized that financial incentives are just one piece of the puzzle. And that's why they're involved with the Trusted Advisor Partnership in North Dakota, an effort organized by NDSU soil health extension specialist, Dr. Abby Wick. By investing in this and helping growers adopt these practices in a very flexible way. I think they're going to get what they need. The growers are going to get what they need. The CCAs are going to be guiding this whole process and just making it so that we can move forward in this space and stop wasting time. Creating collaborative frameworks for conservation agriculture on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Before we dive into today's fascinating episode, I'd like to take just a moment to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which this quarter is Calgary Economic Development. Now, what makes Calgary, Alberta the engine of Canada's agriculture industry? Well, with direct access to a strong agricultural base, Calgary is a well-connected region with collaboration across geographic areas, industries, and research and training institutions. Calgary has experts in all things ag, including primary production, crop science, protein development, ag and food tech innovation, and animal health. It's also a hub for controlled environment agriculture, energy transition opportunities, and value-added food and beverage processing. Calgary is a hot spot for agri-food production and technology development, which is why multinational agribusiness leaders call the city home. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Just visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. Thank you so much to Calgary for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Dr. Steve Rosenzweig of General Mills and Dr. Abby Wick of North Dakota State University. There's been plenty in the media and, and really even on this show about the idea of paying farmers for carbon sequestration and other ecosystem services that they could perhaps provide. Uh, but what often gets lost in the conversation is how exactly do these practices, things like reducing tillage or planting cover crops or integrating livestock, how do they actually happen? I mean, there's a ton of risk involved in making some of these changes. In some cases, there's new equipment that needs to be purchased, new techniques to be developed, new thought processes to exercise, and new expertise required. 
And sure, financial incentives can help with this, but what's equally important are collaborators, supporters, and trusted advisors. That's what today's episode is all about. We'll start out by talking to Dr. Steve Rosenzweig about General Mills' interest in soil health. Where's that coming from? What it means for their business? And what led them to programs like the Trusted Advisor Partnership in North Dakota? Then we'll switch gears and talk to Dr. Abby Wick, who's an associate professor and soil health extension specialist at North Dakota State University, about this trusted advisor partnership program, how it works and why it's important. Then we'll wrap things up with both Abby and Steve to discuss why it's important for food companies to join forces in efforts like this. Now, both of these interviews were originally conducted for the Soil Sense podcast, which I co-host with Abby. And if this stuff interests you, I highly recommend you go check that show out. The full interviews for the audio you're about to hear can be found as episodes one and two of the current season of Soil Sense. I'll drop you into the conversation here where Steve is explaining why a food company like General Mills would want to hire a soil scientist like himself in the first place. my phone interview for the job was me kind of interviewing them about what does General Mills want with a soil scientist? And it was really, you know, we had been involved in the early on kind of national soil health initiatives. So setting up things like the Soil Health Institute and the Soil Health Partnership, they had been kind of really investing in that space and and really saw, you know, General Mills as being a key, you know, enabler of that broader soil health movement. And they wanted someone to really help figure out, you know, how do we keep advancing in this space? How does General Mills continue to be kind of at the forefront and a leader in, in this soil health movement in the country? And so they had a role for a soil scientist to really come in and help figure out how do we measure improvements in soil health as we make investments, you know, in farmers and in partnerships on the ground? And how do we fit as a food company in this whole movement? So that's kind of what I, what I came in to help figure out. <laughs> Well, those are big questions. How do you go about starting, uh, you know, fresh out of your PhD, huge questions, big company, you know, where, where do you start? I was based not at the headquarters building, but actually at a USDA ARS facility in Brookings, South Dakota for a whole year. You know, we had some farmers that we knew we sourced from and had good relationships with. And I was actually just started by soil sampling their fields and, and starting to do some on-farm research. So I think that's kind of where we started was just, you know, how do we get plugged into the research community and, and really start to advance this kind of systems level on-farm research to complement a lot of, you know, what's happening at universities and, you know, USDA research sites that are more kind of replicated, controlled experiments. We wanted to also be out there helping to figure out how do we conduct on-farm research with farmers to, to really understand what they're learning and what they're seeing on their farm. So that's kind of where we started was really on that research side. And then it's really also just been about forming partnerships with folks that that are, you know, in the communities that we are sourcing these ingredients from and really understand that local context. And so it's just been a lot of uh, networking and building relationships with with people that actually kind of know what needs to happen because, you know, we're kind of a couple steps removed from the farmer as a food company. You know, we we don't buy grain or, or anything really directly from farmers. We, we buy it through a supplier, an aggregator. And so, you know, we're a couple steps removed. So we, we really are forming community level kind of partnerships with local folks that really understand the context and really just helping enable them. And so that's, that's kind of been the journey over the last couple of years. And with you all being a couple steps removed, you know, if somebody's a farmer and wants to know like, well, why does General Mills care about how I run my business? You know, how I handle my soil? You know, what, what do you tell somebody like that? Well, if you think about the business model of any food company, you know, we 
take the outputs of mother nature and farming, you know, farming communities, farmers, and, you know, turn those ingredients into food products and market those to consumers. So our entire business is resting on the resilience and ability of farmers to keep farming essentially. So, you know, increasingly our leadership investors, they really want to make sure that we are investing to make sure that General Mills is going to be around for another 150 years. We're a 150 year old company. And so, you know, what are the things that we need to do to stick around for another 150 years and really forming these kinds of partnerships and, and really helping to support farmers and increase their viability, longevity, and, and resilience is kind of, we've realized it's a business imperative. So their business is our business, essentially. Yeah. And I think part of what's happening right now in this environment is there's a push for companies to talk about being sustainable without really like being sustainable. And I'm sure that's something that was going through your head when you're considering taking the job. So how did you sort of assess like, okay, is General Mills really serious about this? Or is this just something we could put on a cereal box to say we're sustainable? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it first started with just the people, you know, getting to know the people that were working there and understanding like them as humans and kind of what drove them. And it really was people that were passionate about agriculture, had been involved for a long time or, you know, very passionate about sustainability and, and doing it for the right reason. So I could kind of pick up on that, you know, just in, in sort of meeting the folks that I was going to be working with. But then, you know, on the other side too, I've, I've heard a lot, you know, so General Mills has a regenerative agriculture commitment to advance regenerative ag on a million acres by 2030. And, you know, I, I've often heard folks say like, well, is that just a marketing ploy? And the reality is not many people, not many consumers understand what that is. Um, so, you know, if it was a marketing ploy, it's maybe not the most effective or way into that. You know, I think it really is about supporting agriculture as a whole and improving these range of outcomes from soils to water to farmer economic resilience. And that's kind of what it's always been as the main objective. And, you know, helping consumers understand what this is all about is also a part of it and, and figuring out how do we bring them along on this journey so that we can help to bridge what's happening on the farm with what, you know, people are thinking about when they're, when they're eating food. But I think that's just a longer journey that we're on. There's no one type of consumer either. You know, General Mills has a whole bunch of different brands with lots of different people at the, you know, leading edge of, of consumers that are want to know everything about where their food is coming from all the way to, you know, a mainstream kind of person who's mostly thinking about things like taste and price and convenience and, and sustainability and how things are grown isn't really the first thing that's on their mind when they're in the grocery store. So, you know, we've got to serve all of these different types of people. And, and for that commitment, how are you all defining kind of that threshold of, of when something is regenerative? Yeah. So we don't have, it's, we're not creating a binary, you know, this is regenerative, this is not regenerative. Um, so our definition is that regenerative ag is a holistic principles-based approach to farming and ranching that seeks to strengthen communities and, and ecosystem resilience. So basically what that means is it's, it's really about the approach and it's about a journey. It's not really about a destination. I mean, you could talk to farmers who have been doing this for a long time and they say, I'm still not done. I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. I'm still, you know, regenerating my ecosystem and regenerating my mindset and how I approach this system, still learning. So you're never kind of done. And um, I think we've tried to reflect that in how we approach things. So really we've taken more of an outcome-based approach where we're trying to measure soils and biodiversity and water and economics and really just understand how can farmers help improve these outcomes over time? And so we're really not trying to create that binary distinction and say, this is regenerative, this is not. It's really more about the journey. So, you know, you have the, the difficult task of like taking these ambitions for 
where the company wants to go in their supply chain and actually putting the data to it of like, like how you're doing and what's possible. So if, if your superiors call you into their office and they say, okay, you know, we've got these big ambitions of regenerative acres and lowering our carbon footprint by 2030, how are we doing? You know, how, how do you approach that conversation? I mean, I think one thing that's important to understand is that these are really like societal goals. It's not something that any one company can control. And so, you know, one of the things I try to say a lot is, you know, we won't be successful in hitting our goals unless everybody hits their goals. We're in this together, you know, greenhouse gas reduction. It doesn't really make sense even to think about, you know, climate reduction goal for each individual company because the climate is, it's a planetary goal that we ultimately have to keep warming below 1.5 degrees C. So, even if General Mills and all the other companies that have voluntary commitments met their goal, we still wouldn't hit that planetary goal. And so we have to kind of first focus on what is the real goal at that community level, at the planetary scale, and make sure like that's the goal that we're really acting towards. And that requires partnership and collaboration and you know working with others to try and influence things that are outside of our control. Because the reality is our greenhouse gas reduction goal is what's called a scope three greenhouse gas goal. So there's three different scopes of greenhouse gas emissions. Scope one is the emissions that you directly create through your factories or your company cars or, you know, your direct emissions. Scope two emissions are all of the emissions from the energy that you use to run a company. And then scope three is everything else. So it's the energy it uses to produce the fertilizer that goes onto the farm that's used to grow the ingredients. And then it's all the shipping, it's all the packaging, it's all the when the consumer's at home baking a Pillsbury Crescent roll in their oven, it's that energy that's used for that oven. It's the emissions from the landfill. It's, it's everything you can imagine. And we don't control all of that. So this greenhouse gas reduction goal is kind of more about sort of looking outside of our four walls and trying to get involved and be collaborative and being helpful in moving sort of these, these bigger systems forward. So yeah, it's a tough thing to, to have a goal like that where you don't directly control your fate really, but you know, we have to do our fair share and do our part to help make society as a whole better. So that's kind of what this is all about. So scope three seems like impossible to measure. How good are we at measuring scope three emissions for a massive company like General Mills? Yeah. And it's new space for, you know, everybody, you know, it really hasn't been around that long that we've been trying to figure out how do we actually measure scope three you know, I was just thinking back to like, I heard a liquor company once say that part of their scope three emissions is the ice that is used when people drink their whiskey or whatever. And so they had to figure out how much ice are people using when they drink our drink. So it's, it's just like, you have to really kind of wrap your head around all of these different assumptions that go into your scope three footprint. That's what makes it so complex. But I think we've got a lot of cool solutions in the agricultural space. And so one of the things that we're really doing is using tools like satellite imagery that can really monitor, you know, what's happening in agriculture at this landscape scale and, you know, look at things like cover crops or, or tillage practices or even kind of biomass growth and, and understand how that impacts the carbon cycle and, and then plug all that information into models to just get a better sense of what are the emissions from agriculture even in this place, you know, and really just looking at, you know, our supply sheds that we call them, these, these regions that we source our ingredients from, they're about 200 million acres in size. So that's kind of the scale at which we need to understand what practices are happening on the farm and, you know, what the emissions are. And so satellite imagery and modeling, these kinds of new tools are really a great way to at least get a little bit closer to those estimates so that we, that we feel comfortable about, you know, reporting what our scope three emissions even are. 
with the programs you're involved in, it sounds like the goal is not to sell the carbon necessarily, but that might be a byproduct. Is that right? I mean, is, is sort of your approach from General Mills, you know, where you're pursuing the same principles, but the end result you hope is more resilience on the farm instead of carbon credits? Or maybe talk about how you look at that. Yeah, I'd say our first priority is to just make sure that we're investing in the right things, having an impact, doing the things that are meaningful. But we also have this greenhouse gas reduction goal that requires us to demonstrate progress on our emissions. We have to reduce our emissions by 30% by 2030. And that's our scope three reduction goal. So that's a, a target that's registered with the Science-Based Targets Initiative. And ecosystem service markets are one way that we can show verified progress towards those commitments. And so I think that's actually what's driving a lot of companies in this space to want to pay farmers for you know greenhouse gas reduction, carbon sequestration in soil is because we have these scope three commitments. And these markets are kind of some of the only ways that, you know, because the scientific protocols are there to measure the thing, we've got the third party, you know, verifiers that kind of put their stamp of approval on it. So that when we say in 2030, yes, we've met our goal, we've reduced our footprint by 30% by 2030, having that market and having that kind of system in place gives people confidence that we actually did what we said we did. So that's kind of what's driving a lot of this interest in the ecosystem service market space. But I know it's early. There's a lot of different choices out there. There's some programs that are more offset programs. So companies not in the food and agricultural space that are buying the carbon, kind of plucking it out of the agricultural system. So it gets kind of confusing. And um, I think rightly so, some farmers and implementation partners are kind of overwhelmed with the number of choices and and the complexity of this space. So, you know, we're kind of dipping our toe in there. I will just give a plug. So for the Ecosystem Services Market Consortium, it's the only nonprofit ecosystem service market in the space that's focused on more than just carbon. It's also about water. We're developing a biodiversity credit. It's just for companies that have these scope three greenhouse gas reduction goals, you know, really investing in that agricultural food value chain to help farmers reduce emissions that stay within the food sector instead of kind of being sold off as offsets to another sector. It's really about kind of keeping it within the industry and and just making sure that we're rewarding farmers within our value chains for reducing emissions because that really reduces the emissions of the whole value chain. So our supplier, us, our you know, retailer customer, the consumer, it helps reduce emissions for that that whole value chain. So that's kind of what what ESMC is all about. All right. Well, I know I took us a little bit into the weeds there with scope three emissions and ecosystem services, but I think it's valuable insight into how these companies are thinking about soil health and regenerative agriculture. And it really shows the pressures or the drivers that they are experiencing to improve their own supply chains, both directly and also indirectly. What companies like General Mills seem to be learning in part is that financial incentives are needed, but aren't always enough for lasting change. We've heard about this from farmers when it comes to like carbon credits and other incentives that don't really amount to enough per acre to really move the needle on practice change for farmers who might be interested, but not really feeling like the risk is worth the reward. So General Mills and some other food companies that you're about to hear about are engaging with programs that work with trusted advisors to find ways to integrate these soil health building practices into sound agronomic advice to solve these agronomic problems and to maximize profit for the farmer while also taking advantage of incentives that might be in place and opportunities to improve their soil over time. 
One such program that we'll focus on today is the Trusted Advisor Partnership, which Dr. Abby Wick has helped to bring together for CCAs, or Certified Crop Advisors, in North Dakota. I'm going to let her talk more about the program uh, and about its uniqueness and its importance. Uh, but first, I asked her to share where this idea came from for implementing such a program in North Dakota. And one quick uh, caveat before we dive in, she's going to at one point mention Lee and Jason. These are two very, very important people, Dr. Lee Breeze and Jason Hansen. These are both crop advisors in North Dakota that are actually the trainers of the program. The facilitators is probably a better term, actually facilitators of the program who are bringing a lot of this content to their peers. So just know when she says Lee and Jason, shout out to Dr. Lee Breeze of Central Ag Consulting and Jason Hansen of Rock and Roll Agronomy. Here's Abby. I'd say, you know, several years ago, different food and beverage companies were approaching me with ideas of what could we do in the Southeast corner? What could we do in the Northeast corner of North Dakota? How do we demonstrate soil health practices so farmers get interested in them? And then it started turning into like, what can we offer farmers to adopt these new practices? And so over you know, the course of, of three or five years, I'm getting you know, all these questions from these different companies. And it finally came down to the point of, what if we all just worked on this together and use this great organization out of Vermont called the Sustainable Food Lab that works with all these companies regularly? How about we bring all these ideas together and come up with one program for the entire state of North Dakota? And let's not base it on these ideas of just paying farmers to adopt practices, but let's actually make those practices stick. And if we can do that through the certified crop advisors as a start, just because they have the baseline information that's very consistent, they've passed the tests, they've done the, all the things you need to do to be certified. What if we start with them and we build up their knowledge and their confidence in helping growers adopt practices? And then you guys can figure out from the company side, how do you support that? And what does that mean for your incentive program? And what can you offer then to those growers that are have all the tools to adopt the new practices? You alluded to it for sure, but talk about that in the context of how does it help the farmer that they're all working together? You know, what? why is that better? Yeah, having these companies work together, which is challenging because they all have their different goals, right? Um, but they all have the same desire for, a, you know, more sustainable practices to be adopted. And so when different companies are coming to growers with different incentives, um, maybe one is for reducing tillage, one is for, you know, a cost share and cover crops, maybe one's a premium. It can be really confusing because the farmers then are like, which pays better? Which one do I adopt? How do I adopt this practice and, and have it actually work on my operation? You know, having them work together and then having the involvement of the certified crop advisor who knows the grower to figure out which program is best for them. And so they can have the knowledge of the programs. They can pick the one that might be the best for the company that is purchasing their product um, and then guide the grower through that enrollment in that program. So it still sounds really complicated. <laughs> and I think it's always going to be complicated. But I think if we can get these companies to work together like they are, the CCA has the knowledge of all those programs, can pick the best one for the grower, take it to them, the grower signs up for it, then the company now can say we've, we've influenced X acres in North Dakota. It makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't see how it's good for anybody to have these disjointed, disparate programs. It's just more confusing. I, I would think it's probably harder for the food companies to get what they want out of it. It's definitely harder for a farmer to know how to get involved or where to get involved. And it also means that you don't have as rich of a data set because everybody's probably having their own siloed data, uh, which is something a lot of people in agriculture are accustomed to and, and, and frustrated by. So it, it does make sense that that they'd bring it all together, I think. Yeah, I think what the company's goal is to have a simple outward facing 
you know, concept or idea that that makes it very easy for growers to adopt the practices that they hope that they can support, right? And then all the complexity is on the backside, and they can figure it out on the backside. So really just taking all that confusion that exists, whether it's carbon credits or whatever they have going on with cost share and all those things and the accounting that goes there, and just making it really simple on the the outward facing piece of it. And I think we all appreciate simplicity. (laughs) The backside, nobody wants to be part of that backside of what's happening. It's so complex. Well, first, I guess, which food and beverage companies are involved? And is this open ongoing for others to join in? Yeah, so we have a large overarching grant from the Walmart Foundation to create the content that we're sharing with the CCAs. And then several food and beverage companies have contributed to not only kind of starting this up, but then also the financial incentive piece that's to come. And those companies are PepsiCo, Anheuser-Busch, King Arthur Baking, uh, Unilever, General Mills, and Hershey. Hershey was one of the more recent ones to hop on board. So really a great team of companies that are working together and all of them know each other well. So it's kind of fun to watch them work through problems and solve things together. That's great. And okay, so you started off with this sort of like high level idea that look, all these food companies want to work with farmers and they want to somehow incentivize soil health building practices or more sustainable practices, however you want to put that. So let's bring them together and figure out how to do that. Once everybody was on board with that, what are the objectives or what are the next steps to getting toward that end? So the the next steps are, I guess, our end goal, first of all, to point that out is 500,000 acres of new practices being adopted in five years. And that may seem like a low number, right? We're used to these kind of million of this and two million of that. And for us, we wanted a very realistic goal so that we could actually achieve it. And is that all in North Dakota? That's all in North Dakota. So those are the the goals that we set. Um, and to roll out the program, what we're doing is having, I guess it's, you know, 10 to 12 certified crop advisors that are part of the first cohort is what we're calling them. So the first group to go through this training program. And of those CCAs, we're going to ask each of them to bring in one grower that they work with and to try a new practice on a field or two fields, whatever it might be for that for that farmer. And so we'll start with that. And at the meantime, while they're working through some of these practices that are being adopted, we're going to recruit our second group, which will be 20 CCAs. And then they, again, will bring in one farmer with them. And you can see how the numbers are building over time. And then the last group would be 30 that we would bring through. And so, you know, as each of these groups go through, obviously the first 10 to 12 that go through, we're relying on them a lot for feedback into the content that we've created. And then we're also going to rely on them to help build additional content as we move forward. Some of these CCAs have quite a bit of experience with adoption of soil health practices and management of those practices. And then some of them are, you know, they're just getting started. And so it's a really nice, diverse group. Most of them are working independently. So they are not selling products or are tied to sales at all. Uh, But we did include a couple of ag retail CCAs as well, because we want to start figuring out what that looks like. We know the influence that group has as well. So how do we develop this program to fit their needs too as we move forward? So it's kind of, it's a building process. You know, hopefully this program is not always maintained by NDSU, but instead taken over by our advanced crop advisor group in North Dakota. And then they can administer it out to reach the other, you know, I think there's 350 CCAs in the state. And um, if they can administer this program and we can just make sure it stays current, then I think we're in a really good place to have this last long-term. The, you know, the goal are the practices themselves, not necessarily the goal of like carbon credits, right? The goal are the practices. Right. The goal is the practices. And I think all of these, these companies 
believe in that being the goal, which I think is really unique. Um, we oftentimes think that they're after the carbon, but really what these companies are trying to do is, is create, as some of them will put it, they're, they're trying to keep farmers farming, right? They want to buy their product from the same farmer in the same region year after year. They don't want to have to go anywhere else for barley or for sugar beets or for corn or whatever it is. They want to buy it from the same growers in the same region, the same supply. And so by investing in this and helping growers adopt these practices in a very flexible way, I think their programs have the ability to be flexible. And in a meaningful way, I think they're going to get what what they need. The growers are going to get what they need. The CCAs are going to be guiding this whole process. And we hope that this is a streamlined way to do this that is simple at least forward-facing simple, and it can be as complex as it needs to be on the back end, but just making it so that that we can move forward in this space and stop wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if I'm a farmer and I'm listening to this, maybe one of my questions is, okay, you want me to adopt a new practice? Are you going to pay me? And it sounds like the answer is maybe, you know, maybe we're going to, we're going to try to figure that out. We just need to understand what is sort of the cause and effect relationship between incentive and practice. Right, right. We want these companies to offer something that's meaningful, that helps them adopt practices long term. We know that these things take time. We don't want to just give them a couple years of funding and then disappear. Devity is going to come in their advisor being able to guide them in that in that journey. And I think this is where if if growers have somebody they're working with, whether they're a CCA or maybe even somebody in retail agronomy, and when we get to that point is to encourage them to go through this training and to really, you know, support them in that training as well. I mean, it's it's one more thing those those CCAs are gonna have to do. I mean, they're already busy people. But I think if the growers support them in that journey, just like those CCAs are supporting their farmers and in, in, in their journey in soil health, I think we're gonna we're going to make it. We're going to move forward and we'll hit that 500,000 acres in five years. All right. Now, with that context on the Trusted Advisor Partnership in North Dakota, thank you, Abby. I want to go back to Dr. Steve Rosenzweig to close out our episode. As you heard, General Mills is one of the companies involved in this program, and I want to get his perspective on where this fits into General Mills' overarching sustainability goals. And you're going to notice that Abby, who co-hosts the Soil Sense podcast with me, also has some questions of her own for Steve. Now, General Mills is well known for investing in this space, and there seems to be no shortage of people looking for funding for regenerative ag soil health types of efforts. So I wondered, how do they decide who to partner with and how to get the most return on it in their investment when it comes to soil health in their supply chain? You know, to me, I, I think about who has trusted relationships with farmers in the place, who has kind of a similar I guess, philosophy about, you know, agriculture and, you know, these soil health systems that can really move things forward. You know, I think we're trying to partner with kind of these leading organizations that really see things in a similar way and working towards common goals, but then also just those that really kind of understand the local challenges and opportunities. That's kind of really what we're looking for is folks that are making changes on the ground, having an impact, working to really, yeah, make things better in that local, you know, system. So, that's really what we're looking for. And so that's really why we're excited to be a part of TAP because, you know, Abby and this North Dakota state program, along with Sustainable Food Lab and all the other companies that have been brought together, I mean, I think we all have a common goal in this system. And, and this is just a really cool project, I think, to improve, you know, educational systems for agronomists that are out there that are interested in learning about soil health, you know, just giving them an opportunity to learn about, you know, how do I have these kinds of conversations with my farmer 
so it's just a great opportunity for us to support you know, a, a really cool educational program along with all the others who kind of are leading in the space. So. so, you know, you guys have had a lot of different approaches over the years, and I know you've, you've focused on farmers and the technical aspects, but then also probably some cost share things. And, and when you look at all of those approaches, do you feel like there's one that sticks out or are they used in combination as maybe the best approach? Yeah. So we've been piloting different approaches, trying to figure out what sorts of resources are useful and, you know, meaningful to a farmer who's trying to make changes on their farm. And so we've tried, you know, uh, investing things like one-on-one coaching with an agronomist. We've worked on helping set up supportive social networks and peer-to-peer learning groups with farmers and having lots of field days and discussion groups and those sorts of things. And also on the the financial incentive side, there's a lot there, lots of different approaches, lots of different needs, uh, especially for farmers at different kind of points in their journey, you know, starting off not having really tried much before, you have a very different kind of financial risk and need than if you've been in this for three to five to 10 years. So we've just been kind of piloting and, you know, trying out these different approaches. And I think really what we found is you kind of need a little bit of everything. You need a supportive social environment around you of, of other farmers who can you know, help keep your confidence up when things don't go well. And, you know, you can keep learning with each other and from each other so that you're really accelerating, you know, your trial and error period by having a network of other people who are trying lots of different things. So you need that network, you know, you kind of need a good agronomist, good advice, you know, about things to try or things to watch out for. And then also, you know, some farmers have, have definitely made some big changes and been very successful without much financial support. But I think there's also an opportunity to really help ease that transition and de-risk a lot of these new practices that that farmers are trying. So so the economic and financial piece of it is also an important leg of the stool. So there's kind of those those three legs, I suppose, that are kind of important to have. I'd say uh, that has been a key learning for us coming out of our pilots is just that, you know, having that one-on-one support from a knowledgeable advisor is really an important role. And I talked about financial incentives before, but Really, in a lot of ways, I, I see the benefit of a financial incentive as it helps get a foot in the door for maybe a, an, an advisor that that hasn't you know been able to kind of break through with a farmer yet to really help evolve that mindset and really get them on the path you know this journey that that we were talking about. So it's really that kind of evolution in the mindset and how you kind of see your operation, how you see yourself in the operation, starting to think more long term, starting to see the opportunities and kickstart that optimism and curiosity and learning mindset. That's, I think, one of the, the really powerful things about a knowledgeable, trusted advisor. It's just someone that can help get you on that journey. And that's really what's needed to create long term change. So, you know, I think financial incentives are great, but unless you kind of engage that intrinsic motivation and that understanding and that mindset, it's going to be easier to go back to what you were doing before once that financial incentive goes away. And so I think pairing these things together and having that advisor is kind of the core foundation of any you know relationship and program. I, I think that's, that's really an important piece. I think there's a lot of money in this space that folks want to give to farmers and, and incentivize and, and for good reasons. But I think we can't lose sight of how important that trusted advisor is at really enabling that long-term success and, and mindset shift, because that's, that's what's going to make the money actually impactful uh, in the long run. Yeah, I feel like that's a good model for all of us, because when you're trying to reach, was it 200 million acres? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can get, feel pretty down, I'm sure, at times about how things are going or, yeah, that optimism is key. And what is it, you know, in working with all these other food and beverage companies on tap, um, what is that like for you in this model versus prior areas maybe or even advancing these practices? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to be in collaboration with others. I mean, like I said before, it's not, you know, none of this stuff is something that any one organization can do on their own. And so, you know, we've started programs in other places where it's just been kind of a General Mills thing. Um, you know, we've had our General Mills regenerative ag pilots that we've had 45 farmers up in Canada and 24 farmers in Kansas that have been part of these programs. But, you know, we realized we can't really scale if it's just going to be a General Mills thing. And I think this is true for everybody. We kind of have to release control over these kind of programs and our supply chains and just getting focused on like the things that we care about that are connected to our business. I think once we start looking more at these landscapes and these states and these communities at that level, and we sort of release the control over these programs and make them more locally led, locally owned, and and it's just something that we're helping to enable and accelerate. I think that's the only way that we can get to scale. Because if we're going to have a General Mills program and a Pepsi program, and a, you know, it's like we all have our own little thing, we're all going to be kind of bumping into each other and competing. So I, I'm really excited about this as just a great example of how we can kind of come together and support something that that is more locally owned and led and where we're just collaborating to, to support a good thing. Collaborating to support a good thing. That's what today's episode is all about. Thank you so very much to Dr. Abby Wick and Dr. Steve Rosenzweig. Highly encourage you to go check out the Soil Sense podcast to learn more about this program. Listen to these full length interviews with both Abby and Steve. And here are some other fascinating interviews that uh, Abby and I have put together. More on that to come as we round out this season and start to make some special announcements for upcoming seasons that are pretty exciting. That, again, is the Soil Sense podcast. And can be found on any podcast platform. Uh, I think it's important to have conversations like this. I hear a lot out there from people about what food companies are doing, what government's doing, what incentives are out there, what people want. And I want to bring more farmers into this conversation as well to hear how they are experiencing or analyzing opportunities like this. And I say opportunities because I, I really do believe there are opportunities out there for those willing to do the research and find what works for them. Uh, and of course, leverage people like their trusted advisors to find solutions and find incentives to better their business. So thank you again to both Steve and Abby. Thank you to Calgary Economic Development for being our quarterly presenting sponsor. And last, but certainly never least, thank you for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag Innovation.